0: think it's, uh, it's nice to see you all again and uh, we, uh, we trust that we'll be uh, blessed as we come to, to read the word of God together and to, and to study it for the next uh, few minutes and uh, as, uh, as Paul mentioned uh, my understanding of what the passage was aligned with what you, uh, what you had on the screen and I believe you just commenced your studies in, in, uh, in Thessalonians so um, we're uh, continuing up on where, from where you left off last week at the end of chapter 1. And, uh, and we're considering the first eight verses of, of chapter 2. So we'll, uh, we'll just read those uh, together um, just now. Uh, for uh, you yourselves know, brethren, uh, that our coming to you uh, was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and had been mistreated in Philippi, Uh, As you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel amid much opposition. Uh, For our exhortation uh, does not come from either error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek the glory of men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we may have asserted or uh, made burdensome our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. And that's our reading, and we are thankful to God for his his word, and and we look to him for his help as we uh, consider it together tonight. Uh, So uh, no doubt last week as you opened uh, this letter of, of Paul to the Thessalonians uh, in, in chapter 1 it was presented to you that one of the, the themes or one of the key aspects of this letter is that Paul is uh, bringing or laying down a, a defence uh, against some uh, slanderous comments that false teachers had, had brought against him and against his his ministry. And and obviously they would have had malicious uh, intent and it would have been an opportunity for them to, to really gain a, a foothold for whatever uh, religious uh, sect or organisation they were from. And if they could, if they could just undermine something of uh, Paul and his character or the way in which he conducted his ministry, uh, well, they could begin to unravel their whole faith uh, because in many ways it was linked uh, to Paul and, and to his person. But what, what Paul seeks to do is, of course, is uh, very much defend his position. And we get, in light of that, a very unique insight into the apostle. Uh, and this was what is most telling about Paul's defence, which really uh, falls um, uh, really in, in for the most of, of chapter 2, or at least the first 12 uh, verses. One of the things that comes to the fore. As he, as he rebuts these uh, objections that are levelled at him, uh, is that we have something of the, the heart of the apostle brought to the fore. Uh, he, he reveals it in a way that we maybe wouldn't have understood it otherwise. Um, because uh, as we read passages like this, uh, it allows us to understand uh, something and see into something of the affection uh, that the apostle Paul had uh, for these Christians, and for many Christians, as we know, as, as we read through his epistles, uh, you know, as as we do that, um, it can be very easy uh, just to to read over passages like this, read over the the language that Paul uses, and and read over the specific examples of his of his love for these Christians, and and to just think that it was something that was maybe a, a unique to Paul. Uh, maybe unique to the the sort of first century Christian life where there was this uh, intense uh, persecution, there was this mass evangelism and there was there was many people saved, and so Paul had this affection for them and that was a unique thing to that time or to that age and such love or affection maybe isn 't expected uh, expected today, but you know if we fall into that trap um we do so at, at the, the peril, potentially, of our Christian testimony. And, and so we, we, can't, uh, we can't remain content uh, with the fact that maybe it is that the, the Christian relationships that we have, they're maybe without uh, division and without rifts. And if that's the case, you know, we, should, we should be praising God for that, of course, and, and pray that that continues uh, but, if we settle for that uh, that is that is certainly not the intent of, of, of scripture, but rather we should have a, we should have an ambition that is higher and and that is an ambition to follow the command that we have in scripture uh, to attain this this high watermark of Christian love and and we 'll understand this of course, uh, if you read anything of the epistles or anything of of the Gospels and of what the Lord Jesus brings forward to us is this, that it is Christian love that is the very uh, cornerstone or the the, the bedrock of Christian uh, witness. And so uh, if Christ is to be be proclaimed and is to be seen or witnessed from our lives or from our testimony, well then, Christian love must be at its centre. And so we should spur one another on to to greater heights of, of Christian love towards each other, and we can we can certainly take example from the Apostle Paul, as we all see uh, as we go through our our passage this evening. So that's that's really where where we're going with this, as we as we look at Paul's uh, rebuttal, as we look at his his uh, his defence. That is that is where we're moving to. And the passage it splits itself uh, into to three very neat uh, sections. Verses one and two, we have. Uh, the circumstances of the ministry that Paul was involved in with the Thessalonians. And then 3 and 4, he outlines something of the motives of those that were ministering, the ministers that were along with Paul. And then verses 5 to 8, we have the conduct of the the messengers of Paul and of Timothy and others that were with him, uh, as we read off in Acts 17, when uh, the Thessalonican church was established. So the, the first few verses then outlines this, this the circumstances of this of this ministry, and so he, he he begins here at the start of chapter two to really defend something of his character and, and his conduct, and as we thought, uh, if he does that, well then that will preserve the the content of his ministry that that was so critical and so influential in the lives of these. Of uh, the Thessalonian believers, and so he he wants to to bring to the to the attention of the Thessalonians that he he is not presenting to them uh, new information. He, he's bringing to them something which they should already be aware of, something that they've already experienced. And and so, uh, if it was a courtroom scene, the evidence that he is bringing uh, to the fore, that the witnesses that he's bringing, as it were, to the dock. It shouldn't be something of a surprise. See, he wants to bring information that should be fresh in their minds, in light of his visits and in light of of his interest that he had shown, and sending Timothy to understand more of their condition. And so he uses actually three times in our section this phrase, uh, "you know" or "you yourselves know." And so what he's trying to do is is bring the Thessalonians with him, uh, present this information as something that they should. Uh, The word to know, it's the idea of perceive or to recognize something. And so this is how he presents his defense. And and in these first two verses, he presents two uh, particular aspects of this. Firstly, verse 1, he says this, that his coming to them was not in vain. It wasn't something that was empty or purposeless. This would have no doubt have been one of these accusations that, that Paul's dissenters would have brought. That you know, Paul, he didn't really have an impact when he came here and the, the message that he proclaimed. It, it was something that was a vain endeavor. Well, of course we know that that is evidently not the case. And, and he mentions this in, in, in chapter 1 verse 5. That the gospel it, it, it did not come to you in word only but in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Verse 9, for uh, they themselves report uh, about us, uh, um, have sent a report uh, about us as to what kind of reception we had with you. How that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. These people had undergone a, a radical transformation. Something that, that completely changed their lives and that was evident it was clear it it couldn't be it couldn't be doubted it couldn't be denied that the, the power of the spirit of god uh, was was cle- clearly at work and so they knew that the work that the apostle was involved in was not void it wasn't empty and then secondly he brings to them this fact that in verse 2 that Even though they had just suffered uh, some horrendous things, we read about it in Acts 17, of the the beatings that they had undergone, uh, the the fact that they were thrown into jail, they had been shamed and and mistreated, all on on account of sharing the gospel. This hadn't deterred uh, Paul and his his fellow missionaries, it didn't deter them from having boldness in God to, to speak the gospel. Uh, they didn't have any guarantee that what they had just experienced uh, wasn't going to be repeated. Uh, and, and with that knowledge, no doubt with the, the wounds probably still fresh on their back, they, they went forth in the boldness of God and they, they spoke the gospel to them. They had they had boldness. And and this this unwavering confidence, this this god given confidence it was a, a supernatural confidence is really the the idea behind it. Uh, it was something that couldn 't have been brought about through human effort or human ability. People would have thought they were mad and and, and in many ways uh, you would have, you would have agreed with them, but that, that is the, the point they had they had this this boldness and so this this opening defense he 's making clear to the Thessalonians that His ministry, it didn't lack purpose, it wasn't empty, and it certainly didn't lack power. You could see it was evident, it was clear. You know, just as we think about that, and and we we just consider for a few minutes uh, this effort, this ministry that Paul was involved in. You know, I wonder, do we have something of this boldness that Paul speaks of? This, this boldness in God? Or is it really the case, as I know it has been in my experience, when, when we face opposition or even the thought of opposition, uh, we, we can shrink back uh, from sharing the gospel or shrink back from, uh, from proclaiming something of, of God uh, and what he has done for us uh, in our lives? Well, the the key to this, I think, is is understanding this that it's it's having boldness in God, having boldness in God. Uh, boldness apart from God is something that is foolish. It's it's empty. It lacks it lacks power. And I think uh, the reason so often we do lack uh, boldness, uh, or we lack power in our in our preaching, or in our ministry, whatever it is we're involved in is that we have a lack of, firstly, appreciation of God. A lack of understanding that, uh, of God in, in, his, in His infinite greatness, in His, you know, his power, His, his glory. And, and lacking that understanding, we also lack this understanding that we are united to God through Christ. And so that the power of God, that the strength of God is something that is available to us. But so often we, we neglect and we forget and we, we fail to appreciate this. And so if, if we truly understood, as the Apostle Paul did and Timothy and others like him, they appreciated that their life had a, had a sphere of existence that was, that was in God. It was under his control. Well then we would lack fear. If we really truly appreciated that and understood God's sovereign control in our lives, well then we wouldn't be lacking in this boldness. We would have boldness in in God. And so it is it is for you, it is for me to, to lay hold on this truth, to understand. Uh, the God that we serve, the God that that we are linked with, that, that we are united with, and that we have a personal claim to. He says it's the, the boldness he had, it wasn't in God in an arbitrary sense, but he says in our God, personally. And so when we have that understanding we can operate uh, with, with the boldness that accords that, that reality. So that's uh, that's a very clear lesson I think that we can draw initially from, from Paul's uh, ministry as he, as he outlines the kind of context for it. So then in verses 3 to 4 then he moves on to, to describe something of the, the motives uh, that, that these ministers that Paul and, and his fellow missionaries had as he continues this, this defence. And in verse 3 in many ways is, is a bit of a key verse to this section and he, he, he lays down almost a, a kind of cornerstone defence. And, and so that the accusations, no doubt that were being levelled at him, he, he, he rebuts them in, in a very succinct form. And he says this, uh, that our exhortation, it does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. So he's saying it, it doesn't come from error, that's in its source. It doesn't come from impurity, that is, with regards to its motivation, it, it didn't come from an impure motivation or, or, or uh, place. And then thirdly, it, it wasn't deceptive in its method, he, he wasn't seeking to, to present this ministry in a way that had an ulterior motive. And so in verse in 4, having clarified that, uh, that the basis of this exhortation uh, what it wasn't he then states positively what it was and and really the the motivation behind this work he says in verse 4 is is really this that it was a work that was approved by God it was approved by God and and by making this this very clear statement he is is putting beyond doubt that this work could be somehow undermined. And and by understanding the truth that it was approved by God, the specific part of this approval that, that is key to, under, that is important to understand is that this was uh, this was Paul and Timothy and, and the others, they themselves were those that were approved or had been approved by God for this work. And it's the it's the idea of being put to the test. They had, been, they had been proved fit to carry out this, this work. Uh, you know it hadn't been taken on lightly. It wasn't just a kind of haphazard thing where they give this where God delineated or, or delegated this work rather to someone that just seemed to be there, but rather these were individuals that had undergone rigorous testing by God to ensure that they were suitable for the task to ensure that they were uh, capable of, of carrying it out. So Paul says uh, we are approved of by God. Just as, a, for example, an elected official, you know, they have to go through the various vetting processes to ensure that they can be suitable to take up the, the role or the position. And this was the case for Paul. And why, why is that necessary? Well, of course we understand this reason. He says in verse 4, it was approved by God, what? To be entrusted with the gospel. He was, he was being given something that was obviously of great importance. And, and so it wasn't just a, a kind of uh, you know, insignificant religious message that they were given, but rather it was the gospel of God, and so they had to go under the, undergo this process to be suitable uh, to, to carry it out. And so Paul says, in light of all of this, in light of this, this proving uh, process... And with that understanding that that was the motivator for moving them forward to carry this out, well God then entrusted them with it. It was something that was given to them as a as a stewardship, something that was his responsibility to discharge and so with that with that in his mind, not only was it that God proved him and that God had trusted it with him. But all of that led him to this point. The purpose for doing it, then, it certainly he says, is not to please men, but it's to please God, because God is also going to be examining. He is. He's proved him. He's he's entrusted him with this, but he's also examining him, examining his heart, his his inner uh, seat of 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 his life, as it were. That was under that was under assessment, and and so all of that. Was giving him and provided him with this motivation for carrying out this work, and so they could be left in no doubt that this was not this certainly was not something that was uh, erroneous or something that was from an impure motive or something that that had an aspect of deceit about it, because it was something that came ultimately for God. You know, as you and I consider our our service for God, uh, you know, what is it that motivates us? What is it that motivates us? What is it that that really drives us to to carry out whatever tasks we have to do? Whether it's in our our local church or whether it's at home. No matter what it is, there'll be something that motivates us. Well, Paul says uh, it was important to ensure that it was for the pleasure of God that he was carrying out his task. It wasn't for pleasing men. And, you see, to bring pleasure or to do something for the pleasure of man is futile. For one thing, it can very rarely ever be done. Most people are never really pleased. But if we get hold of the fact that it, it is God that equips us for a work, it's God that, that entrusts, it, entrusts it to us as a, as a stewardship, and if we understand that it's God that ultimately is examining us on an ongoing basis, ultimately we will, we will of course come before him and, and our whole life and service will be assessed, but it's an ongoing. there's an ongoing aspect of that. Well, when that is our view and that is our appreciation, well then we will, we will serve for his pleasure and for his glory. And in many ways it will, it will enable us, it will free us from the, the pressure of seeking to please man. That certainly was not Paul's motivation. Well, finally then, in, in verses 5 to 8, he brings us on to the conduct of the, the messengers. <laughs> having considered uh, the, the kind of context to this ministry, and having looked at something of the motivation behind it, uh, and the, the purpose, I suppose, of it in many senses, in many respects, he's, he's demonstrated to this point that you know, there, was, there, was no, there was nothing uh, dubious about what he was doing, nothing shady or nothing that could really you could grab onto to, to pull out from underneath him. But he wants to make it clear and, and he wants to make it certain. And so he continues this defense by, by bringing attention to, to the actual conduct, how they operated, what they did. Uh, and again, this just highlights this whole aspect that they were above above reproach. And, and again, he follows a similar format. He firstly says what their conduct was not like. And, and so he, he draws on uh, something again that they've witnessed. We have that, uh, that phrase that we've, we've saw already in, in, in previous verses. Uh, in verse 5, we have it again, as you know, something that was present in their minds. And he has this, this, this threefold accusation. First of all, he says, we didn't use flattery in our language. And. Of course, it's, it's something that is really deceitful, something that uh, is, is malicious in its intent. It's trying to, to influence people, to try and gain control through deceitful language. Paul says, you know, we didn't do that. Secondly, he, he says, uh, we, we didn't have this false intent or this, this cloak, uh, the ASV puts it, for, of, of greed it wasn't for financial exploitation. That wasn't why we were involved in this ministry. And again, this is something he, he continues to describe that they knew. And he actually, he underscores that, that aspect by saying God is, is witness. And so it's quite a strong term that he's using here to, to highlight to them that there is, there is nothing uh, that they could bring against him. And then thirdly, he presents to them this, this truth that he was not in the business of, of seeking the adulation or the glory of of either the Thessalonians or, or anyone else. Similar to what he has already mentioned, uh, but you know the the idea here is, is more the fact of seeking glory from men to get position, to again have this foothold. Uh, to gain influence, or, or power, or prominence among them, and so he says. Even with that, we you know, we could have used our position as apostles. We could have imposed our authority on you, but he says we didn't. We didn't do that. We didn't exploit that that fact. And then, having said very clearly what they didn't do, he then recounts, and this is uh, this is just where I want to, to spend these last few minutes. Is this this wonderful description? of how he conducted himself, how they as, as, a, as a collective group conducted themselves towards uh, these believers, uh, these new believers, and also before they would have been believers, but he, he wraps in one uh, these, these Thessalonians. And so he begins by, by painting this, this, this lovely picture of a, a mother who's tenderly caring for her own children. And and he says, you know, when we were there, we were we were gentle with you. We were we were mild mannered, is really the idea. And 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 as this this nursing mother is caring for her own children, he says, this is the, the gentleness that we we approached you with. You know that that picture, uh, that example that he's using, it's one of the uh, the closest and and one of the most. Uh, selfless human relationships, really, that, that we have. Uh, a mother is seeking to meet the need of her children uh, without any expectation of receiving anything in return. And so this was the affection that the Apostle had for these Thessalonian believers. They themselves babes in, in, in Christ, as it were, although that's not the primary thought, but it's, it's clearly there. He and his missionary companions, they sought to have this, this selfless uh, devotion uh, towards these, these believers for their spiritual betterment. That is why they were there. And in verse 8, he, he says, uh, and he presents to them what the, the manifestation of this, this affection that was within themselves for these believers. He says our, our fond affection, and that, that phrase is, is unique to this uh, verse, it's nowhere else in the New Testament. And it's again this maternal uh, fondness is, is the idea behind it. He says they were delighted as a result of that to not only share the gospel with you, he says, but we were there to, to share our very lives with you. And so uh, he, he, was, he was willing to, to give his whole soul, his innermost person, all as a result of this fondness that he had for them. So so dear were these believers to, to Paul that he was willing to, to really give his whole life to them. And they would have been aware of that. And really, you know, Paul has been building to this point. He's, he's refuted all of these false uh, complaints of these uh, those that were seeking to undermine the, the faith of these believers. And, and by bringing this testimony, bringing this, this witness to bear of, of all that he had been involved in, uh, there, was, there was no error, there was no impurity, there was no deceit. And instead, uh, these believers could know that the very opposite was true. And, and so he had this, uh, this, this altruistic commitment to them. He had a, a, an affection that, that was backed up, it was backed up emphatically by how he acted, by how he, he showed himself to them. And, and these new Christians, uh, Paul says that he had a, a love for them that was, uh, that was persistent and that desired really only their, their, their welfare and, and their uh, spiritual betterment. That was what his, his intent was. You know, as as we think of that, and as we look at the example of the Apostle Paul here, the the question that comes to us is is this. Uh, Really, how or or where does our affection uh, for either new Christians, but wider than that, for our, our fellow Christians, where does it fall in light of Paul's standard? And of course we know that this isn't the only place that Paul speaks of having a, a love in such a strong way for, for Christians. We can see it in Philippians and Corinthians. And, and so often we see that, that Christians were the, the objects of care and love of the Apostle Paul. And you know, I wonder if it was the case that there were false teachers, for example, that came in and gained you know, genuine influence over the Christians in your life or in my life. And they began to throw stones at, at the whole underpinning of your relationship with them. Began to shed doubt over the, the intentions or the motivations that, that you or I have as we interact with, with other Christians. I wonder would they stick, uh, or is it the case that that you could, if required, as as Paul has done here, that you could point and and you could demonstrate the affection and the love that you have for your fellow Christian? It's a it's a tremendous challenge, and and I'm sure you would agree that if if there was to be a you know, a camera or a microphone or something that would follow you about for a month and it would recall and replay all the interactions you have with, with other Christians? Would they see this kind of fondness, this sort of uh, devotion, this kind of care? Uh, or would it be that it's maybe often the case a kind of indifference, maybe selfishness or even maybe animosity? Um, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that you know the, the one of the chief commandments, of course, given by the Lord in, in John uh, chapter thirteen, verse thirty-five. He says, "This by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another." And you know, this kind of love it can't be it can't be demonstrated just by simply stating that you love your Christian or you love uh, your, your brother or your sister. Uh, it demands to be to be backed up by, by action. It's something that has to be clearly, visibly demonstrated. Uh, there can't be question over your... Uh, when we think of, of the, the example that, that Paul gave here, there, there's no question over whether or not a, a nursing mother uh, cares or loves for her child. You know, if you see that, it's within a few minutes, you can see clearly there's a, there's a bond there, there's a love that exists. And, you know, she may not always get it right, often she'll not get it right, but she has a desire to see the needs of her child met. And it's, it's not to receive anything in return. It's a love that, that costs, it's a love that gives, but doesn't necessarily receive and that is the standard of Christian love. We know that, of course, and we see it in. in uh, there's many passages that we could turn to, but this, this selfless love uh, that seeks to enrich others, not ourselves, at whatever cost. Uh, that is that is what is expected. And you know, if we're if we're needing motivation, of course, uh, we needn't look any further uh, than, than to our, our Saviour. He's the, the ultimate example of this, this agape love that we know about, and we hear about, and we read about. You know, it, was, it was Christ that though He was rich for our sakes, He became impoverished. It, it was Him that took the, uh, the stoop um, from to, to, to be lower than angels through the suffering of death so that He could be the the captain, the the leader of our salvation. It was was Christ that, as the the just one, took our place as the unjust to to bring us to God. It's the the love that Jesus had for me uh, to suffer on the cruel tree that I, a ransomed soul, might be, is something that is more uh, than tongue can tell, and so that is the that is the love that we're to emulate. Uh, that's the the standard that we're to reach, and it is that that should should motivate us to love one another, to love our fellow fellow Christians. If we're disciples of Christ, we're to to follow His standard, of course, and so if. If you're a Christian, do you love your fellow Christian? Do you love the saints? You know, Are you looking out for their needs spiritually or physically or emotionally? Uh, do, you, do you interact with them enough to understand what the needs are? And do we look for opportunities to seek to meet them? And when those opportunities present themselves, do we, do we grasp them? Do we take them? Well, I would, I would suggest, you know, one of the, the ways someone mentioned to me, and, and it's certainly true, that if we're to increase our love for our fellow Christian, well, we should pray for each other. We should pray for each other. That's what Paul did. We see that so often, don't we? And, and so as, as we close, I trust that this passage is, is something that will uh, challenge and encourage you as it, as it has done my own soul as I've considered it. And it will cause us to to try and further our our love and our affection for for one another, to reach to reach greater heights of Christian love, as Paul has demonstrated here, and do so for for the honour and for the glory of the Lord Jesus. So we just trust that God will bless His Word, and we'll close with a Word of Prayer. Our God and our Father, we do just give thanks again for the. Uh, the privilege and for the opportunity that we've had again to uh, to come around the scriptures and to to consider its truth, we think of the the wonderful example that we have uh, of the apostle Paul and and of the other uh, fellow missionaries that were uh, involved in this work with the Thessalonians. And we think of the, the example that they've left uh, for us to be diligent in their service and to and to seek to have boldness in God and to seek to ensure that their motivation was right. And then, to display this this love and this affection, and, and we do just ask our God that you 'd help each one of us, we recognize our, our failure, our, our frailty, our weakness, and our need of, of the help of God, or help of the, our need of the help of the Spirit of God to to display more uh, of, of the, the character of Christ in each of our experiences. So we just ask that you'd help us in this and you'd uh, you'd help us even now as, as, we, we, uh, as, as those that will be staying. We'll uh, sing hymns together and enjoy fellowship and we just would uh, give thanks for all these blessings and pray that you would uh, part uh, us all later with, with your, your blessing. And we ask all these things, giving thanks in our Saviour's name. Amen.